Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the Parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am your only host this week, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on BatteryPower.com, where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the minor league editor since 2015. Now, normally this is the part where I would be introducing Garrett as my co-host, but unfortunately, we had a bit of a snafu with kind of getting recording done this week for reasons that frankly aren't that interesting. The short version is that we weren't able to record last night. I am recording this uh, in the morning of October 7th here on Friday, and I did want to take the time to kind of cover a topic as we kind of get into this playoff run. I, w- I do wish I could have had Garrett for it, but, you know, luckily we kind of worked together on getting the show format set up, so I believe I'll be able to c- do this solo, and hopefully my voice will not give out. Uh, I apologize in advance that this is that you've heard me so much on this podcast feed so much this week. I promise there's going to be a lot more voices coming up. Uh, I will be on the show on Sunday to do our playoff show preview, but we're going to have a whole ho- rotation of folks helping out on the playoff coverage coming next week. So make sure you keep an eye on the Battery Power podcast feed. Make sure you tell a friend to subscribe to the feed. Not only will you get this podcast, but you'll get all of our other podcasts, including the flagship show uh, and the Daily Hammer. Basically, whatever you need to know about what's going on in the upcoming playoffs, we are going to have recaps for you and tons of content coming out here soon. And I promise it won't only be just me. Now, what I want to talk about this week is kind of an interesting topic, and we know intuitively that the Braves, what they've done is form this young core of prospects and turn them into a young core of a championship caliber team. And I want to stress just how difficult that is to do with the constraints that the Braves, especially with the constraints that the Braves were operating under. Now, there's a lot of ways to build really good teams. We've seen kind of hybrid type uh, situations where, for example, you look at the Blue Jays, and sure, they have really good homegrown talent like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, but they've also been very busy on the free agent market. You know, they add George Springer, they've like three-fifths of their rotation with <laughs> with Kevin Gau- with Kevin Gaussman and and Jose Barrios and all those guys. Those, those are kind of like hybrid type situations where, you know, they have some homegrown talent, but they've also been heavy in free agency. The Dodgers also kind of resemble that as well. They've, they've been very good. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that meme on the Dodgers as just spending so much money and trying to buy championships, but that's also a roster that has a lot of 
homegrown talent on it. In addition to guys like Freddie Freeman, Justin Turner, all those guys that you know. Again, Clayton Kershaw was a and Jose and Julio. I'm not sorry, not, not Jose. Uh, Julio Urias are both homegrown guys, and those have been really important to their Dodgers run over the last several years. So. You can also, though, that, that hybrid type build, you can also be more heavily in free agency. You look at teams like the Mets, for example, that have been very heavy in free agency. Uh, you could kind of, I mean, I guess you could sort of lump do, the Dodgers leading that way. We've seen other teams like the Red Sox do it in the past. We, we've seen teams, the Yankees have all historically were very heavy in free agency, trying to kind of bring in those big name guys. So there's a lot of ways to do this. And then there's teams that have to do it homegrown. We look at a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, for example. They have just no payroll to speak of whatsoever, so they have to hit on these young guys to be able to be stay, stay competitive, and that's what the Braves have, Rays have been able to do. And the Braves have kind of been in a sort of a hybrid type situation over the last several years, uh, but mostly leaning towards this young core, and what they've been uniquely able to do is pretty remarkable. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of the free agent slash trade help that they've gotten. We, the Braves have done really well for themselves to, again, add guys that on like shorter deals, most of the time anyway, to kind of help and fill holes in the roster as they come up going into a season. You look at like the Josh Donaldson signing, uh, signing Dallas Keuchel, adding Charlie Morton. Will Smith was a little bit of a longer deal, but again, that was a three-year deal. That's not anything that's particularly crazy. They add Kenley Jansen before this year. Marcelo Ozuna's original deal was only a one-year deal. Unfortunately, the second contract that he signed certainly not looking particularly great, but he was very helpful for that 2020 season. They trade for Matt Olson. We'll talk more about that later. And again, trade deadline guys as well. Alex Anthopoulos is really good about adding guys at the trade deadline. Again, we may never see a lot of these guys in a Braves uniform after a given season. They, he's really good on, really good about targeting guys that don't have much t- you know control left that can also help the club. You look at like Mark Melanson, Chris Martin. Uh, last year, very clearly, Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario were big parts of the Braves World Series run. So the Braves aren't like standing pat and, you know, not using any payroll, right? We know that they are able and willing to go out and target guys that can help their team. But what they've been able to do is find success. And this is years ago. And we'll kind of talk about how far back we're actually talking here and build a young core that is very easily to maintain with a payroll that isn't like something crazy. They're not going to be, you know, they're not $250, $300 million payrolls, right? The payroll has been creeping up. Braves fans have been going to Truist Park, and obviously they're going to be more, you know, heavily, you know, playing in the free agent market probably going forward, but they don't really have to. And I guess this is the part where we kind of talk about how far back this goes. If I were to ask most people, when the rebuild kind of really started coalescing and being really important, they would say in 2015. And largely, they'd be correct. You know, the 2015 draft was incredibly important to the Braves. They also made some important um, IFA signings at that period of time that paid dividends dividends in a couple realms. But really, this goes back to 2013. I don't know if a lot of people remember, but Ozzie Albies, one, was not a highly regarded international free agent, and that's largely because of his size. But two, he only signed for $350,000. But he joins the organization. All of a sudden, down in rookie ball, he starts really turning a lot of heads. And he becomes the Braves' top prospect by the beginning of 2015. Then you have in 2014, where Ronald Acuna Jr., again, was not a highly regarded prospect. And he only signs for $100,000. And it was kind of a late sign situation. He got signed away from another team. I think it may have been the Nationals. I'm not 100% certain about that kind of right off the top of my head, but in 2014, he signs as an IFA, 
skips the Dominican Summer League altogether. And kind of the rest is history, right? We all know kind of what happened. He goes to rookie ball, is pretty impressive, catches some eyes. He gets to Rome in 2015, and it's off to the races. Then we have where we start getting into 2015, and we get to some trades, and we get to that draft. Dansby Swanson was the first overall pick in the 2015 draft. Now, notably, the Braves did not draft him, but he did spend the bulk of his time with the Braves' development team because not long after being drafted, the Diamondbacks in the trade that continues to be a joke throughout Braves' Twitter that we all kind of remember with the that was able to garner such a return for the Braves in the short term and the long term. Dansby Swanson gets added to the, the minor league system in 20, uh, not in 2015, but as a 2015 draftee. And then we also have in 2015, William Contreras signing as an international free agent and for only $10,000. And he's the guy that I think largely most Braves fans would agree is the catcher for the future. Sure, he's splitting time with Travis Darno right now, and Travis Darno's been great as well. There's the Braves have a great problem there. They're really good at creating catcher batteries, and I don't think that in this day and age we're going to see any catcher, you know, catching 140 games or anything like that. They kind of going to split this load up because it's just a lot easier on these guys' bodies, and it makes it a lot easier when you have the DH. If you want to keep that bat in the lineup, you don't have to catch him every day. You also have Austin Riley being picked 41st overall, and again, these are all position players at the moment. Getting that core of young players together starting in 2015 really set the Braves up for success. And it kept getting better because they continued just to kind of add pieces here and there, complementary pieces, and most notably, of in terms of recent draftees, even though they have not been targeting position players and that the position player side hasn't been as relevant to this uh, since around 2015, the one very, the two, I'm sorry, the two notable exceptions here are Vaughn Grissom and Michael Harris. Now, Vaughn Grissom, we hasn't really settled into an everyday role, but he was very important to the team in 2022 here. Uh, with the Ozzie Albies going down for injury, he played very well before kind of regressing a little bit. But Michael Harris pick, being picked in the third round of the 2019 draft, it's hard to stress getting how important getting that kind of value later in a draft like that is. This is the kind of talent that you expect to get from a, like your first round pick this is what you want. You want an everyday guy. You really hope it. It's hard to bet on that from a guy coming from the prep ranks, but to get what they have gotten from Michael Harris in the short and long term, I mean, they've already signed him to a long-term extension. And a lot of these guys, with a notable exception of Dansby Swanson, who's going to be the target of a lot of free agent speculation going into the offseason, a lot of these guys are going to be around for a long time. They still have significant team control, either from extensions or they're even still arbitration eligible. But it wasn't just on the position side. The, we see on the pitching side that it was almost more important, and that this is the place that they've consistently targeted talent throughout the draft, and even a little bit in the IFA side, although that, that, that hasn't worked out quite as well. It goes back to the 2012 draft when Max Fried was drafted by the Padres, and the Braves traded for him as a prospect when he was still hurt. They bring him into the fold, and he does the bulk of his development with the Braves' development system. And then you have, that, again, that 2015 draft was oh so important. We have Colby Allard picked in that draft, who ends up being an important trade asset a little bit later on for a reliever that really helped the Braves. You have Mike Soroka, who, barring, you know, you know if he hadn't been injured, he would probably be a, a stalwart member of the rotation. We'll still see as to whether or not he can get back on track and become that guy again. 
They have a trade with the Astros for a 2010 draft pick in Mike Fultonowitz, who, for all of his faults as a pitcher, and apparently as a human being, was, again, an important part of the, Bla- the Braves' run for a very short time during this kind of 2018 through 2022 run that they've been on. You have Kyle Wright being their first-round pick in 2017. Spencer Strider somehow coming out of the 2020 draft, which was only a five-round draft. He's a fourth-round pick. He's turned into the, the second-best rookie in the NL this year. And assuming he can stay healthy, he's going to be a Cy Young candidate for a long time. You have, in 2015, a competitive balance pick you know, spent on a reliever, and it turns into A.J. Minter who has just been a, a, a stalwart guy at the back end of the rotation. Not necessarily always the closer. And in fact, more likely that more often than not, he hasn't been. But he's still been a very important part of the bullpen. You have Bryce Elder as the, 20, as the fifth round pick in that 2020 draft, who was an important part of the Braves run this year to kind of eat some of those important starts late in, late in the year. It's kind of remarkable when you look at it as to kind of how much value the Braves have gotten just from the minor league system. Because, again, you have to really kind of squint your eyes and pay attention as to what really free agency and trades have brought them. Sure, they added Matt Olson this year. Uh, Kenley Jansen's been an important part. Somewhat maligned at times, but, you know, has been an important part. You know, and again, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, like, discount the guys like McHugh and things like that. But largely, this Braves team and this organization, what they've done is not only build their own team, really, but also be able to hang on to these guys. Because the one thing that has is problematic for teams like the Rays is that they bring up these young guys, but as soon as they either get expensive in arbitration or they hit free agency, they leave. But look at how many of these guys have been locked up for a long time. Ozzy, Ronnie, Austin Riley, Michael Harris. Haven't really seen an extension for a pitcher yet. We'll see if that happens with Max Freed because that's going to be coming up soon. But what they've been able to do is to not only get these guys into the system and for having them to be successful while they're still cheap, but to also keep them around at rates that are pretty reasonable. And that's what helps you build a young team, they're successful, and once that success brings some money into your organization and you can keep them for a long time, that is how you can build a sustained winner. Because we sit here at 2022, this is their fifth division title. We don't know how this playoff run is going to go, but they already have one World Series title. They have another league championship series appearance. And you look to the next three or four years at the very least, and they look to be contenders for at least that long, possibly longer. It's hard to kind of really give you a sense of how important just those guys are. But when we get back from our break, we're going to talk a little bit about how some of the value that we've gotten from other prospects during this run has kind of translated values in other ways but before we do that we're going to take a quick break to listen to our word from our sponsors hey this is scott galloway author professor entrepreneur and most importantly host of the prop g podcast we got a special series running on right now called the future of work where i answer all your questions on surprise the future of work Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we talked a little bit about 
the young guys. And again, they're very well known. And a lot of these guys, I mean, they're they're still young, but at a lot of these guys are like playoff veterans at this point. They have the the Braves play, roster has some of the more some of the most playoff experience that we'll see amongst the playoff teams this year, right? And it's it's kind of wild to think about because we still think of them as kind of the young guys, but they they've been through it. They've been through multiple hard playoff series, hard playoff runs, the ups and the downs. You know, having to come back and face adversity. They've done all that stuff. But it's not just those guys. We forget about the other guys that are no longer in the organization. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, guys like Joey Wentz, as an example. A guy that we liked as a prospect. Wasn't quite a top 10 guy, but ends up being part of a trade with the Do- with the Tigers. That brings back the, uh, the Braves a return at the trade deadline that they need to help be successful. Look at multiple trades involving Adam Duvall, where the first time they go and get Adam Duvall from the Reds, sends Matt Whistler and Lucas Sims, both highly, at one point or another, highly rated prospects by us, and they send him to the Reds to get a bat that, again, he's certainly a flawed player in a lot of respects, but he was also had big moments for this team and gave big contributions when they needed him. Now, after Duvall leaves, what do the Braves do? They trade for him again, and they trade Alex Jackson. A catching prospect that we were not certainly as high on. But again, a guy that has value, has a ton of power, at least raw power if he can get to it. And they trade in the division to go get Duvall. And again, does the work for him. He he does good work for the Braves last year. Um, Obviously, he was not playing particularly well this year and he got hurt, which is a big bummer. But the point being is that they got value for prospects that they didn't have to be successful at the big leagues necessarily for the Braves. Uh, with Sims and Whistler, they certainly we certainly saw some uh, semblances of success or at least some, a few games here and there. But the biggest value they gave back is what they were able to bring back in return. And it's why you want a deep farm system to be able to trade from. I mean, you, you only need to look at how impactful this can be. With Sean Newcomb. By all accounts, Sean Newcomb was a bust. He was. We saw him almost no-hit the Dodgers. We saw flashes where it looked like he was finally going to turn things around, and no one doubted the stuff. But at the end of the day, he wasn't producing. He he couldn't he couldn't hold on to a starter job. He couldn't even hold on to a reliever job. So what do the Braves do? They trade him to the Cubs to bring back Jesse Chavez. And what does Jesse do? He just does his job, performs well, and he's great in a Braves uniform inexplicably. He's only good in a Braves uniform. But the Braves needed that kind of that another relief arm to give them some depth. And they were able to bring him in for a prospect that wasn't going to have a place on the roster anymore. And then Jesse Chavez gets traded along with Tucker Davidson to bring in Raziel Iglesias, who's been one of the best relievers post-trade deadline this year. Tucker, again, is a guy that a lefty who we liked. The, The fastball probably was a little bit too flat, but, you know, had good velo, had good results largely too. Gets sent to the Angels, along with Jesse Chavez. Brings back Iglesias. The Angels end up cutting Chavez after a month. He's back with the Braves and largely pitching well when he's not completely hungover from the postseason celebrations. The big one that folks are going to want to kind of point to here in terms of trades, and there's been a lot of them. You know, the Chris Martin trade that were that the Chris Martin trade that had the Braves send Colby Allard again, a former first round pick that just never really got the velo back after kind of being dinged up. Not to start his pro career, but again, get some value back and gave them a reliever for a couple of years. Chris Martin was a good reliever for the Braves. 
you know, things kind of took went sideways towards the end there. But largely, he was an important part. And really, if Chris Martin doesn't get hurt, the Braves probably win that previous series against the Dodgers in the NLCS that they lost. I don't think that anyone has any strong feelings that that, could, that wouldn't have been the case. You look at the Matt Olson trade, though. The, what the Braves gave up were some real prospects. I mean, Christian Pache, certainly the bat has never really turned around, but that's a guy who had kind of has gold glove defense ready and willing. If he ever hits it all, he's going to be real value. But the Braves had kind of moved on from trying to figure that out because they knew they had Michael Harris, and they knew that they had to make a replacement for Freddie, more importantly. So you had to give up something to get something. They also give up Shea Langoliers, one of the top catching prospects in baseball. Again, it was one of those they had they had the depth to deal from, and that he was one of the guys that was going to be most highly coveted. And to get a guy like Matt Olson in a trade, they're going to have to give up a guy like Shea. Ryan Cusick is a guy that we weren't quite as high on. I think he's destined to be a reliever. He throws hard. He doesn't really throw straight. But again, that's a former first-round pick, and they, they move on from him pretty quickly. And then another prospect in Joey Estes, a, lo- a lower-level pitching prospect who we liked a lot uh, with multiple good pitches and had really good results down there in Augusta. All a part of that trade for Matt Olson. And while Matt Olson maybe didn't live up to expectations this year, it's hard to be upset with what kind of what he's done, especially down the stretch. I'm not convinced at all that the Braves win this division without Matt Olson, because what he was able to do in that Mets series in particular, and kind of these last couple weeks, has been big. And you know, a lot can be forgiven when you have a kind of a lengthy slump in the second half like he did. But to get that guy and get him extended for a long period of time. They had to give up some real assets, and that's what they ended up having to do. And there's other trades, too. You talk about the trade for Jorge Soler. You talk about the trade for Jock Peterson from the Cubs. All those required minor league assets. And the Braves have been able to get the sustainable farm system that is a continual resource for them. You ask anyone going into this year, they would tell you that, the you know especially after the Matt Olson trade, that the Braves farm system was down and out. And they were still able to make moves at the trade deadline. And they were still able to bring up multiple guys, including the guy who's probably going to win Rookie of the Year this year in Michael Harris. All this is great news for Braves fans because you know that the, this, farm, this player development staff and this front office understands how important it is to have a, a steady pipeline of talent because they might not always translate to a guy that you draft ends up taking the field for you in a Braves uniform but it's important to have those kinds of resources in your minor league system to be able to fill in spots in trades as the needs arise. But it hasn't always been great. There's certainly been some busts. Sean Newcomb was traded for by the Braves as a prospect, was fairly highly regarded, never really worked out. Fulty, again, was a guy that had that one season where everything seemed to click and he was a Cy Young candidate, but was also kind of a mess of a human being and ends up you know, washing out with the Braves. Tuki Toussaint, big on talent, was traded for from the Diamondbacks uh, in a salary dump move, which, again, is one of those ones that still kind of makes you wonder what the Diamondbacks were thinking. Crazy good curveball, especially when he first started, but never really worked out with the Braves, ends up moving on. Whistler ends up getting traded. Again, had a really good slider, didn't really have any much, going, much else going on. He was in one of those Padres trades. But he brought the Braves back value, even as a kind of a bust type. Aaron Blair is kind of a more of a sad story in that, you know, he was already kind of a fringy prospect by the time his, his career with the Braves ended, but gets hurt 
Uh, it's a shoulder injury, and shoulder injuries are just brutal. And when you're already fringy and then you end up getting hurt like that, that that's, that's just kind of how things go. And again, you could have called guys like Pache. He was on, on his way to a bust. You could look at Darian Cruz as a higher, highly regarded uh, IFA signing who ends up retiring before he ever makes it above high A. All of these things happen. Prospects are just destined to break your heart because that is not an exhaustive list. There are plenty of other guys who we really liked or, you know, for whatever reason, things just didn't work out. But the Braves have been really good about still being able to translate guys who they're not necessarily high on or maybe don't have a spot for or for whatever reason. They're just not good enough and still able to get something for them. So where does that put us now? Well, the Braves are finding themselves in a little bit of a situation because the depth in the minor league system is certainly being tested. Not being able to sign IFA agent, IFA, IFA free agents for the last couple years or at least until this previous signing period with the notable exception of Ambioris Tavares the year before. They don't have position player depth at all. They just don't. Um, and with only a five-round draft in 2020 and you know a focus on pitchers, there is certainly a depth question right now with the farm system. However, they do still have guys in this farm system that can continue to sustain the success in one form or another. They can either be parts of the this Braves roster going forward, or they could be trade assets for them. And I'm looking at guys like Justin Henry Malloy, who could potentially f- uh, slot in at left field at some point soon. Kyle Muller is still very much in the mix, I would believe. Bryce Elder is, again, not a guy that is you know probably going to be on this postseason roster, but has certainly shown that he has the ability to make adjustments and succeed in some respects at the major league level. Jared Schuster is still around. Um, I have questions about the the value of that fastball long-term, but the changeup is a very, very good pitch. Maybe he ends up being a a really useful piece for in a trade, as an example. Darius Vines is another guy that might be similar in that regard in that maybe the fastball isn't something that the Braves are super in on, but his results have been good enough that maybe he can be useful in a trade. Freddie Tarnock continue, continues to be around, and the results in AAA have been good. It really has been good for the last couple of years. Really high upside arm. You have a guy like Dylan Dodd, a lefty that you get as a senior sign in the third round for not a ton of money, and he's probably has worked his way into the discussion to be the best farm best pitching prospect in the farm system right now, all of these guys have the ability to help the Braves long-term. Now, the question becomes is that how these draftees from this year are going to do. Look at guys like Owen Murphy, J.R. Ritchie, and then you look at the David McCabe's, you look at the Nacho Alvarez's. Are those guys going to be able to fill the gap that currently exists in the lower minors to continue to keep this pipeline going? Because that is the one thing I will say, is that after these moves and after all these promotions, Things are looking a little bare, especially kind of in that lower, like, you know, low A to high A tier of town. Will that change? Will that be able to continue to be sustained? How will these IFA signings like Diego Benitez, Douglas Glaude, how will those guys turn out? Are there going to be other guys that didn't sign for a lot of money that end up being big time prospects? That could very well happen, but we don't know yet. And there's certainly nothing that makes us think that it's going to be some, something that is imminent. But we do know that this Braves front office and this Braves player development team is really good at identifying guys, really good at identifying the fixes they need to make both on pitch- with pitchers as well as hitters. And as we've seen, all that hard work, again, this and this is multiple front offices. I'm, this is not going to be a copy-bashing prospect, 
podcast whatsoever. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the work that was done for this year's team was done when John Coppola was in the front office and has been sustained by Alex Anthopoulos and shepherded very well. But this team, this, this group in this organization knows how to develop, te- develop a winning team. And we can only hope that the talent that they have in the farm system right now is going to be enough to continue that run. But based on the fact that they've already have so much of this young core put in place, the odds are good that they're going to be able to continue to do that for quite a while. I want to take this time to thank all of our listeners. You guys have been amazing supporters on the podcast over the last few weeks and really for as long as we've been doing them. I just want to just say I appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to make, again, if you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of the podcast, make sure you subscribe to the Battery Power podcast feed on whatever preferred podcast platform you use. Make sure you tell a friend. Make sure you leave a five-star review. All that stuff is super helpful. Thank you all so much. And until next time, we'll see you on the road. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.